ADS at Union Now. Our guest is the Reverend Tracy Blackman, and she is the Associate General Minister of Justice and Local Church Ministries for the United Church of Christ and Senior Pastor of Christ the King, United Church of Christ in Florissant, Missouri. In the aftermath of the killing of Michael Brown Jr., she was appointed to the Ferguson Commission and to the President's Advisory Council on Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships for the White House by President Barack Obama. Reverend Blackman has co-authored the White Privilege Curriculum for the United Church of Christ and toured the nation with Reverend Dr. William Barber. Good afternoon. I am Kelly Brown Douglas, the Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. I want to thank all of you for joining us in another of our conversations on the Just in the Just Vote series. As we are six days away from the November 3rd election, I am most honored today to have joining me in this conversation, the Reverend Tracy Blackman. She is the Associate General Minister for Justice and Local Church Ministries of the United Church of Christ, which has an ongoing voter mobilization campaign called Our Faith, Our Vote. She is also senior pastor at the at Christ the King United Church of Christ in Florissant, Missouri. And in 2012, Reverend Blackman created Souls to the Pole St. Louis. Of course, a multi-faith campaign that provided uh, local community members with rides to the polls. She was appointed to President Obama's Advisory Council on Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships. She has co-authored the White Privilege Curriculum for the United Church of Christ, was named by the Center for American Progress as one of the faith leaders to watch in 2020, and she is, and I could go on and on and on. Thank you so much, Reverend Blackman, for agreeing to be with me today in this conversation, and thank you for your ministry and witness. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, for having me on this program with you. I am still standing my ground based on your groundbreaking work. So I'm a little giddy, a little fangirling, but we will talk. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It'll be mutual fangirling then. (laughs) So let's get right to it because there's a lot to talk about, particularly in these times in which we find ourselves. You've been involved in this work for a long time in terms of getting people to the polls and recognizing the importance of voting. And you have said that getting out the vote is an act of faith. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I consider politics, Kelly, as the way that we live out our faith in this world. Um, At its core, Mm -hmm. politics for me are the practices Um, that we inhabit in our everyday lives, and hopefully those come out of our faith. Um, In the Hebrew scripture, the word for voice is batkol, B-A-T-K-O-L, and it refers to God's voice. This is not God's intimate voice, but is the voice of God when all can hear. That is also, that word kol is also translated in Hebrew as vote. Mm. So for me, I have embodied this spirit that says 
that my vote is the public voice that God has given me and it is sacred. It is the way that my voice can be amplified. I can't do what God does, but my voice can be amplified throughout this nation uh, through my vote. And I hold it to be holy and a part of our faith. So, so you say that our voice in this regard has to be heard, yes. that the voices of the faithful, and you have put it this way, must ring through the halls of Congress. And you talk about our vote in terms of voting faithfully, right? And yes. voting our values. So yes. here's what we know. In the 2016 election, white Christians, not simply white evangelicals, mm -hmm. but white Christians, non-evangelical white Protestants, white Catholics, the majority of white Christians voted for the Make America Great Again vision, a vision that we knew was very clear that this was a xenophobic, bigoted vision. Yet those Christians might say they voted faithfully, they voted their values. So, so what do you mean when you, what are the values? Are we that just gonna we, go there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are those faithful values? I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I don't know who said this and perhaps you do, um, but, there's someone who made a statement about worship in church and they said that um, church is where we bring the gods that we have created <laughs> to meet the God who has created us. Oh. <laughs> and it's relevant in this moment to me because I believe in my heart of hearts that what people were voting for what white America was voting for was the preservation of whiteness. Mm -hmm. And that is the God that many people see. <laughs> this God of supremacy, this God of whiteness. It, it, was, it was the same theological premise that allowed for a religious document to undergird the doctrine of discovery that allowed for the annihilation of indigenous people in this land, that allowed for churches to be built in the middle of slave castles and people worship their God while they were enslaving other human beings of a different skin color. It is this God that people fear losing, this God that is preferential to white skin and to white ways of life. And in some ways in this country that has become so infused with America that it is hard to tell the difference. Yeah. And yet for eight years prior to that 2016 election, they had to wrestle for the first time with leadership in this country that was not white, with a president that was not white. And I believe that, I believe that it struck <laughs> it agitated and struck some deep held sentiments that were then cloaked in religion. And just as we did with the doctrine of discovery, just as we did with slavery, just as we've done with other oppressive measures that, we did, that we've done, we cloaked in religion, in religious rhetoric, the ability for people to do 
what they need to do to preserve whiteness and still stay holy. Well, preserve white and make this sort of holy whiteness. And so, so you know, Reverend Tracy, that I deeply agree with you, right? And, and, and I believe, yes, that what has happened is that our sort of the white supremacist foundation upon which this country was founded, uh, that corrupts its, its vision, its higher vision, has somehow as well perverted the collective moral consciousness and moral imaginary of the nation so that whiteness and white privileging become synonymous with our moral imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And become synonymous with what is right, what is just. So I have a couple of questions then to ask you in relationship to this, and maybe you can answer them both at the same time. One, you and I can say that and we can say that as, as faith leaders. And so the first question is what becomes the role of faith leaders, but perhaps preceding that, there will be others that are listening and that will say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. That sounds like partisan politics. And faith leaders are not supposed to be engaged in partisan politics. What is your response to that? Well, <laughs> I, I agree that the church should not be partisan, but the church should live by the principles of the ministry of Jesus. And so when partisan gets defined as wanting people to have healthcare, mm -hmm. then I have to go with Jesus. <laughs> when partisan gets defined as caging people at the border, I have to go with Jesus. When partisan gets defined as children being separated from their parents, 562 children that we still can't reconcile to their parents, I have to go with Jesus. When your partisanship decides that who I love or who I choose to spend my life with is something that you get to legislate, then I have to go with Jesus. And there is nothing in scripture that supports any of those things. When my bodily autonomy as a woman is questioned uh, and you want to legislate from your religious dogma, what I can do with my body, denying me choice, which is a God-given thing, then I have to go with Jesus. So we can call it partisanship, but I call it the gospel. <laughs> I call it discipleship, right? Um, and I'm going to stand on that uh, because it is the same thing that that those who oppose what I'm saying are standing on, except they're not standing on it from a ministry of Jesus point of view. It's simply not there. Uh, right before talking with you, Kelly, I had a conversation. Uh, I was in a panel with uh, Dr. Jim Lawson, and he said in that panel, which is so true, he said, nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus say, I'm the Lord and Savior, and it's all about me. <laughs> you, know, right. it, it, you know what I'm saying? No, Jesus Nowhere in the Gospels does, right. does, does Jesus say that the ultimate is the accumulation of wealth and that other people don't matter. Nowhere right. in, I mean, Jesus, Jesus and Jesus's family <laughs> were immigrants at one point, right? And so we can call it partisanship, but it's the gospel. Yeah, you know, I think that what you're holding up is that there are certain values that that 
uh, remain the same, regardless of who or who is not running for office, what the political parties are, and that as faith leaders, we're accountable, I like to say, not to present realities, but to God's more just future. Absolutely. And we have to Absolutely. live into that. And, and, and as I hear you talk, I'm reminded, for me, it's, it's about the golden rule, what I say in reverse, don't withhold from another, that which you want not want withheld from yourself. So yeah. if you don't want withheld from yourself, your children, then don't withhold that from another. Or uh, as, as you say, control over your own body, then don't withhold that from another. If you don't uh, want withheld from yourself, health care, don't withhold. To me, that's, that's a, the golden rule that sort of goes through all of our world, uh, major world religions. And so I hear you saying that to be faithful doesn't mean that one can't be political. Uh, you have to be political, right? Because it lives itself out. So let me let me then let let's let's move forward on this. Let's talk well, about. So here well, we let me are. say this because this is the challenge for what you say, though. The, the that part is the easy part for me, right? But <laughs> but the other thing that I cannot withhold from those that I disagree with is grace. Ah, uh, right. If yeah. I'm going to live this thing out, yeah. I have always had to make space for grace. Well said, yep. Space for redemption, space for reconciliation. Mm. And that's important. Space for the conversation, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the, and, 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 and space for people to turn around and do something different. Absolutely. And even the recognition that, you know, I like to say we are perfect, but let's just all get on the arc that bends toward justice and, and move there the best we can, but Amen. just get on the daggone arc. But I think that's important because we find our country in a time of such division and such divisiveness and people don't simply give others the benefit of the human doubt and that, that measure of grace, God's grace uh, that you're talking about. So thank you uh, for that. Now, speaking of grace, <laughs> here we are, right? Getting ready to go into, well, we're in election season. More than half of the people who voted uh, in total in the last presidential election have already voted early voting. At the same time, and I think, believe your state doesn't have early voting, am I right? That's correct. We only have absentee. Yeah, yep. So at the same time that we're talking about this, uh, there are tactics to suppress the vote, as have always been the case since Black people have been given the right to vote. There have always been these countermeasures to suppress that right to vote. So what are the suppression tactics that you're most worried about uh, in this election, particularly as you were concerned with uh, the work you do with Souls to the Poll? And I also notice in Missouri that speaking of uh, suppressing the vote, that you all, not only do you not have early voting options, but you need to bring an ID. Uh, when, when you vote, which we know those ID laws are uh, always most effective in suppressing uh, minority and black voters. So what, what are you most concerned about as we go to the polls on November 3rd? Well, in addition to those ID laws, we also have to have our mail-in ballots notarized. Oh my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, and one might say, well, that's so that there won't be any fraud. But the, the reality is data proves that voter fraud is almost negligible, right? right. Um, and requiring people in communities that are marginalized to have to have something notarized means that they have to first go and find a notary. They have to pay for that service. Um, it's, it's a barrier instead of an enhancement to voting. It's a 21st century poll tax. Um, it is. What I'm most worried about, though, are the 51 million people who don't even bother to register to vote, <laughs> mm -hmm. who could turn this election uh, if they just had enough concern about, I won't say concern because there are a lot of reasons people don't register to vote, um, but if we could just find some way to energize and mobilize those who are eligible. Now it's too late for this election. We have to go with what we have. Um, but I also want to hold that out there mm -hmm. because there was a time in our history as it, particularly as black people where voting was almost a rites of passage <laughs> and, right. and you grew up in families and homes where you were taught that you had this civic duty and this was your voice and long before I could tell you what the Hebrew word was <laughs> I knew that voting was sacred because it was sacred in my home right, um, right. and so and people, died. I, I, more people died to give us the vote people died for it and, and people are still dying for it mm -hmm. and I and so I I wish for us a renewed sense of, of responsibility about that. Mm. At the same time, I understand the despondency because we voted and we voted and we're still here, right? That's the <laughs> argument. Um, but we're not where we have been and we're not where we can be. Mm. And we've proved that we can take these tools. I know what Ordi Lord said, but we can take these tools and manipulate them to our benefit. At mm -hmm. this moment, I'm most worried about mobilization. Mm -hmm. um, registration is over in this, at this season for this particular election. Um, but registration has never been really the problem. It's the follow-through. <laughs> it's right. getting people to the polls and mobilization. You mentioned our Souls to the Polls effort. That was a nonpartisan effort that turned out to be such a powerful witness of transformation and discipleship for the people who participated in that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it was a, resisted a lot at first, Kelly, because I felt very strongly that we needed to do it without outside money or for uh, political donations from any candidates or any PACs. I believe that it is the church's responsibility mm -hmm. to help mobilize the vote. And so we had all these churches get on board. We scheduled our own church buses, our own church vans. We had cycles, the Urban League get, let us do a phone bank there. We had people registered to pick up. And we did all these trainings about how to take people to the polls and not try to influence their choices. Mm -hmm. We heard stories from people who had not been able to vote in years because they were in wheelchairs yep. and they didn't have anyone to take them. We had stories of people in our communities who did not know how to read and mm -hmm. weren't voting because they were embarrassed by that. And this training in helping people live out their Christian witness by helping other people exercise their voice was extremely powerful. So I would suggest in this moment in time that we be about mobilization, mm -hmm. that you don't just go to the polls by yourself, that you call your neighbors and call your friends, make sure they have a ride to the polls. 
On Sundays, for those who are gathering in parking lots and a few churches are doing socially distanced church, have souls to the post Sunday. Perhaps it is not driving, if you, especially if you have early voting, we don't have to have souls to the post to the actual voting booths, but get in your cars together and drive to drop off your ballots. Mm. We should be preaching about this election every Sunday. And you can preach about an election without telling people how to vote. You know, my favorite thing to say to people is vote your principles. Yeah. Whatever your faith says, <laughs> you know, I'm good with that. Whatever your faith says, if you can match it up with Jesus, then, yeah. all I'm asking you to do is vote what you preach, mm-hmm. vote what you teach, vote what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the places that I'm most worried. I'm most worried about mobilization. For those among us who may be listening, who want to do something on election day. I was going to ask. There are all kinds of efforts to have people be a faithful presence at the polls. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that you have the authority to resist, uh, you know, those designated people there. But if you're a clergy, certainly put your collar on and go to the poll. You'll be uh, amazed at how comforting it is to people to see someone with a collar on. If you're not a clergy and you can take bottles of water, or disposable ponchos, or have a few um, portable chairs that you put in your car so that if you see elderly waiting in line that you can offer them a chair. Basically, it's about being neighbor to one another, right? Being neighbor to one another. I thank you (laughs) for, for that because I think you are right and you reminded uh, me and have reminded all of us why some people don't vote, you know, that they're, so take a person to the poll. There may be someone, an elderly person amongst us, not an elderly person amongst us who can't read, who doesn't understand how to vote, doesn't understand the ballot. Take them there, show them. I I was so moved, uh, uh, Tracy. I voted early on Monday. It start uh, early voting started here on Monday, and I stood in a line for two and a half hours. And there were held very elderly because I'm elderly. There were very elderly black people in line. A man on two two canes. Yeah. Uh, people in wheelchairs, uh, another black woman on a walker stooped over, that these people understood the importance of voting and that they were literally risking their lives to vote for their life, right? And so, you know, I do think everything that you've just told us, be a neighbor, you know, take someone to the polls with you, be at the polls. So Mm -hmm. as you say that, we know, for instance, in some places like Michigan, one of your neighboring Midwestern states that um, they are allowed now to uh, open carry at the polls. Mm -hmm. We know that our current uh, occupant of the White House, our current president is suggesting that people go to the polls, his supporters go to the polls. Uh, And I'm not saying that all of them will be there for mischievous purposes and will be carrying guns, but what do you say, what are you saying to uh, your uh, church members and to the people that you were working with there in St. Louis about combating this kind of intimidation and guns at the polls? And this, 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 this takes us back to a place in our history that uh, uh, is not good. It is not good. And 
Um, I'm laughing internally, Kelly, because uh, if you'd asked me this question three days ago, I would tell you that I was saying you got to you got to bring some to get some. That's where I was going, right? Not clergy at all. It's like, if that's where you want to go, we can go there. Well, and there are some Black groups doing that, right? There are some that are doing that. But I got this call from one of the elders, Mm -hmm. uh, Ruby Sales. You might know Ruby Sales. Oh, yes, indeed. She's a graduate of EDS, yep. Ruby, uh, I call her Queen Mother Ruby. And Mm -hmm. She chewed me out for about an hour about (laughs) something I said and reminded me that the stories we know are not the only stories. Hmm. And that we must count the cost of our words and count the cost of our strategies. Hmm. And that people of color, particularly black people have never won because our might was the strongest, Uh, our physical might, but our mental strategies and our minds are what people fear the most. And so if you go to the polls and you encounter people who are there with guns trying to intimidate you, then I'm asking if you are a person of faith that you reach in and remember that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. And if that does not work for you, then pull upon your moral fortitude to know that your greatest advantage over the one who thinks that a weapon makes them stronger is your mind and your spirit and your resilience. And they can carry whatever they wanna carry as long as they don't put their hands on you. Mm-hmm. So the reason I'm going to channel Mama Ruby and say I got it from her because she really made me think about it. The reason that these militia groups and these um, um, alt-right groups are being mobilized to the polls are to incite violence. Right. Right. Their goal is not to stop you from voting as much as it is to ignite violence. Do not give them the gift of the narrative. Uh, yep, yep. And you know, yes, I look, no more needs to be said. No more needs to be said. And, and I think, you know, that all of these intimidation tactics, uh, as these voter suppression tactics, you know, I, I try to remind people, that if your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't be out there. They wouldn't be out there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and it takes you, takes us back to where you began. I mean, our vote is our voice. And 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 that is sacred. Uh, uh, the late Congressman John Lewis said, vote uh, like you've never voted before because your vote is sacred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I like what you say, if we remember that even uh, in the face of what one may encounter at the polls, then you know, live into the sacredness of the vote that you're trying to to make, and that means, you know, as Michelle Obama said, when they go low like that, we gotta go high. But to me, that going high is an indicative of a greater power uh, <laughs> that we've always had that has gotten us to this point where we can vote. Uh, and, um, 
And, and let's remind people also that if you get to the polls and they say you're not eligible to vote, do not leave the poll. Yeah, vote. Call and check for yourself. Do not take anyone's word for it. And sometimes the people who make mistakes are not trying to prevent you from voting. They just, they literally are making a mistake. <laughs> They've yeah. been there all day or they don't know the process, but you know, you know if you've been going to this precinct for years and so you should be able to vote this time. Do not leave without voting. And you can make a provisional vote, at, at least a provisional, in a provisional ballot and then trace that ballot and yeah. see what happens to it. Oh my goodness, Tracy, we could go on and we are coming at the end of our time. Already? <laughs> already, I know, I've got so much. I, so this, what this means, and see, I'm gonna say for all Facebook Live to hear, you've got to come back. Uh, oh my gosh. Because really the second part of our conversation has to be what happens after November 3rd. And you have led us there in this conversation because November 3rd, while that vote is important. It's only the beginning uh, of what we have to continue to do as, as clergy person. So if I want to leave, ask two last questions. And, and uh, the first one is tell us about your the most memorable experience that you had in terms of voting. Was it your first time voting or what that experience was? Okay. My most memorable experience really is not mine. It was when we did Souls to the Polls mm -hmm. and one of my members came back from taking someone to the polls. And when they picked up this person, he was blind mm. and was not very comfortable with people going into the booth with them. But because of the rapport they built in the car, asked the driver to go in with them. Mm. And when they got into the, into the polling booth, the person was going to vote for some candidates that my member didn't want them to vote for, right? <laughs> and they couldn't say anything. And they came back to me and said, Pastor, you know, all this church must be working because he was blind and he wouldn't have known if I put the wrong, put the wrong name in there. But I just couldn't do it because we were here. We were here as disciples. And I laugh every time I think about that. Because that's what community means to yeah. me. That's yeah. what it means to me. That's a good story. And it reinforces what you said, you know, our, our going to vote is just the first step. We have to help someone else uh, vote. And so I, and that's, that's who we are. That's what it means uh, to take care of your neighbor. So what do you want to leave us with? I wanted to, rem I want to remind your listeners that this election is not like our normal typical elections. That in reality, we are not going to have an election day. We're going to have an election season. Yeah. And one of the ways that partisanship shows up is that many people in the Republican party are going to vote in person. That is their habit that is their direction. Many people in the Democratic Party have already begun voting, are voting by mail, and in some states you can vote by mail up to election day. We likely will not know the results of this election on November 3rd, 
if they announce the results on November 3rd, it is likely that all the votes have not been counted. Keep the faith and be patient. If it takes us until the 6th, if it takes us until the 7th, it does not matter. Every vote must be counted because every vote is sacred. Mm. So don't get upset because of the rhetoric that comes our way on November 3rd. Just know it's not over until it's over. Wait for every vote to be counted. Reverend Tracy Blackman, I fangirl you. I'm fangirling still. (laughs) Thank you so much for your voice, your witness, and really your wisdom. And we will have you back and uh, and continue our work and our partnership together. And please, those who are listening, heed her voice, heed her wisdom, and most of all, go vote and take someone with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.